Would you ever hire a private eye, a detective? Or can you imagine how it might come to that? You make one little mistake. Maybe you don't know if you can trust someone. Or maybe there's something you need done that you can't do yourself. The first private detective agency was founded by a French soldier, Eugène Francois Vito, in 1833. He's actually the one credited for first using criminology and ballistics in criminal investigation. Over in America, Pinkerton was the name. Alan Pinkerton of the Pinkerton National Detective Agency, founded 1850. He became famous in 1861 when he actually stopped a plot to assassinate President-elect Abraham Lincoln. Pinkerton agents were hired to track Jesse James, the Wild Bunch, Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid. There are PI firms all over the country. Some have a specialization, like tracking people or dealing with unwanted electronic surveillance. Currently in the U.S., most states require a business license or some kind of experience and training to operate as a PI. The PI genre in fiction goes all the way back to Edgar Allan Poe. He had C. Auguste Dupin, and in our story, we have Bob. Ex-cop PI Bob is still looking into that envelope he got from his daughter, Stacy, but he's got to pay the bills with other assignments as they float in. I wonder what sort of dangerous game Bob's playing today. Bob is sitting in a suburban living room across from the Gladstones. They are straight-edge, Flanders-type, goody-two-shoes Christians. Holy Jesus! Our Jeffrey's a good boy. But boys make mistakes, the father says. Children don't know any better. He is 16, the mother chimes in. He's still a child. Our Jeffrey. And you know what? We don't always trust those other kids out there. I mean... We wouldn't trust all their parents, that's for sure. Out dancing and drinking, smoking dope. With Jesus watching. That's right. So it only makes sense that we'd like to keep a close eye on our big Jeff as best we can. Bob sighs and rolls his eyes. So what kind of trouble did your boy get into? Oh no, he's not in any trouble. He would never. See, we're trying to be proactive on this. They are so impressionable at that age. We'd like it if you kind of followed him around. Just see what he does. Who does he eat with at lunch? See how the other kids treat him. Yes, do they love him? I know they do. And sometimes maybe just keep an eye on his emotional experience there, you know? Is he really thriving? Bob starts to open his mouth to speak, then stops himself. Bob walks out of there, drives away, and stops at a gas station. After he pays for his Lucky Strike and Snickers bar, he uses the payphone to call his friend, the one he talked to at the bar the other day. 100,000 employees, complete security overhaul. That's impressive. How about you? Anything new on that name? Not quite yet. Listen, Bob. 
I'm glad you called me. See, well, I'll just get right to it. My father's going a little overboard. He wants to sell the family home up in Oregon. I need you to get my brother's signature on something, and I'm wondering if you can help me out. Why don't you go and ask him? He's not all there, Bob. Something with multiple personalities? You gotta do this for me, please. Okay, okay, I'll do it. See you at Ray's? Stacy is in her agent's office. It's not the top talent agency in Hollywood, but it is the third biggest. Her agent, Walker Heyman, is a tall, thin man in his early 30s with slick-backed brown hair and tortoiseshell glasses. His grandpa made a phone call, and well, what do you know? Walker's liberal arts degree was good enough for the job after all. Stacy is sitting across from him in a white plush modern leather chair. But you said you knew people at Grace Under Fire, right? Oh, I know them, Stacy. Problem is, they booked those supporting roles and guest spots out so damn far. Love you for it, though. They love you. Really? So they know me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I told them, I said, I want to see the name Stacy Hollister in the GUF credits. And they agreed. I'd love to do it. Look, there's a couple of projects that are red hot right now. Everyone in town's talking about them, okay? And the one that I think is going to be the runaway winner. It's called Mix and Mingle. Walker chose that over two other shows coming out in the fall. Party of Five and Friends. Granted, this was very early days. Months before they started shooting, they had barely started casting these shows. Party of Five and Friends would debut in September 94, alongside Mix and Mingle. Mix and Mingle. The story of two couples and their two single friends. There's Billy D, street tough, New Yorker. Hey, take a picture, it'll last longer. Aaron, an uptight science type. Don't leave the AC on when you go out. It's bad for the environment. And Ryan, the Texas cowboy, just getting the hang of city life. Woo! I had never seen such a fancy toilet. The role the producers had in mind for Stacy was Jacqueline, the spunky, forever single party girl with a good heart. <laughs> this is a big one, Stacy. Wow! Mix and mingle? I think you should give it a shot. Put yourself out there. You got as good a chance as any of them. Of course, I'll be there. Stacy went, and after waiting an hour and 45 minutes, she nervously walked into the audition in front of three people sitting behind a long table. Hey, thanks for coming. Thank you. Here's my headshot. Perfect. Pleasantries were exchanged, a few questions about Stacy's resume, then they got started with the script reading. I haven't been to Las Vegas in years. I wish my boyfriend would take me, but then he'd insist on coming along. (laughs) Up until now, the closest thing we've had to a vacation was going to a restaurant that didn't have a (laughs) drive-thru. They also asked Stacy to explore a particular line in the script in various ways. Okay, now let's, let's try it funny. 
It was supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> Good. How about sad? It was supposed to be a surprise. Great, great. Can you expand on that? Uh, in the script? Oh, yeah, sure. It was supposed to be a surprise. I wanted to do something special for our six-month anniversary. I know we've had our ups and downs, but Jeremy... Jacqueline, we need to talk. Jeremy, don't you love me anymore? Great job, Stacy. Nicely done. Back at Walker Heyman's office, Stacy is meeting with her agent once again. I don't know what you did, Stacy, but they loved you. They really did? Mix and mingle? That's right. Second round. They want to see me again? Second round, baby. I told you, Stacy. Put yourself out there. You got it. Oh my God. Brenda told me, uh, Stacy. You're really in the running for this. Before Puppet and Spider got killed outside the Rhino, and Max and Trevor narrowly escaped, our car king, John Stone, was spending some time at the Rhino Strip Club. He's here with his friend, Eddie. Did someone say Eddie? That's Eddie. Eddie is on the side of one stage getting the lap dance, whispering to the dancer. John just hung up the payphone and is walking up to him. Money is no object, Eddie says to the stripper. Eddie! John calls and Eddie nods, and he turns back to the dancer. I mean it, honey. You name it. Hey, there you are. Eddie approaches John. Let me guess. Stacy? Eddie gets up puts his arm around John. They walk to the table and sit down. Not this time. So where were we? Oh, uh... Tell me something, buddy. You ever think about taking a shortcut? What do you mean? Come on, John. You know, life isn't always fair. Am I right? I mean, I've been through some shit, too. You know. I don't know what to tell you, Ed. We've all been there. So, do you ever think about trying things a little differently? An alternative business strategy? You mean something criminal or... John, come on. Don't be a baby. Half the shit everybody does is criminal. You mean to tell me you haven't been breaking the law since you were born? It's in our DNA. Well, that doesn't mean it's better to go and be more of a criminal. Everybody needs a little help sometimes. And sometimes the prospects, you know, that these guys offer are completely reasonable. What? We're talking about working with someone. It's just some other folks to do business with. Think of them as your customers. Eddie, sometimes you're just too much with all this all this shit. Stop pushing me and I'm not interested in your games. It's not for me, okay? John, come on. We've known each other a long time, right? 
I only want the best for you. You know that. Look, I told you. I've got some problems. But that's what they are. Problems. It's not the end of the world. It's... I'm gonna solve it, okay? In fact, the economy... It's been the economy? Are you serious? Yes! The fucking economy? John! I know it's been hard. Your dad, he was a legend. Rocky Flash, whoa! Lightning speed! I mean, you grew up under that shadow. And then you take it over from him and... What are you even going on about? Come on, Eddie. Let's just, let's just take it all in. He motions towards the dancers. Eddie looks around the room, uninterested in the dancers. I'm worried about you, buddy. I can see it in your face. You've got the world on your shoulders. Would you rather be the guy that did something? Or the guy that just sat and watched it all crumble around him, huh? This is your father's legacy. Make it work. Fucking man up. Get yourself out of it, John. Eddie puts his hand on John's shoulder. Yeah! If someone offers you a lifeline, don't be afraid to take it. A couple of strippers approach them. Woo! Ladies, I think I'm going to give 911 a head start, because you're giving me a heart attack. Hello! On the outskirts of Tijuana, there is a little doorway with plastic jewels all lining the front of the step. A little girl, her face covered in pink ice cream, is holding a balled-up napkin. If you go in, there's only two small rooms, painted in a pastel blue. In one of them, there's a couple of Mexican mid-level gangsters getting scolded by their boss. How could you get the wrong guys? I'm sorry, boss, but these gringos should be taught a lesson anyway. The Mexican boss stands up and walks behind the two, seated and very nervous. It's funny. I didn't know I was paying you guys to be teaching lessons. We made a mistake, boss. This was a fucking important job. The deal stands. The boss walks out of the room and two large men come in with wire in their hands. They strangle the pair simultaneously as they kick their legs and fight. The boss sticks his head out onto the street and calls someone over. Get me Gabriel, rapido. The gringos, Max and Trevor, can't believe their luck right now. As if luck had anything to do with two white boys flaunting their cash in Tijuana. After being kidnapped, they were taken to a rundown warehouse and forced to hand over their IDs and precious bankroll. Max and Trevor were thrown into a makeshift cell pieced together with wooden poles and chicken wire. While the kidnappers went out to meet with the boss, they left an old man to keep an eye on the prisoners, Max and Trevor. The old man guarding them has a handlebar mustache. He looks worn and tired and as dry as the desert. Oh, dude, this fucking sucks, man. I don't want to die in this shithole. I fucking hate Tijuana, man. Will you shut the fuck up, dude? I'm trying to think. Worst part is I missed out on that senior Rita honey. And we didn't even get that lionfish. 
How's the tattoo treating you? It's fine, man. It's kind of dry. Itches a little. Oh, shit. That's red as fuck. Might be infected. Nah, dude, it's fine. I don't know what's worse. Knowing I'll never eat a double-double again. Or that this crusty old man will be the last person we're ever going to see. Dude, just shut up, man. Look at this guy. He can barely keep his eyes open. Let me think. Max and Trevor sit around for a while until the old man finally falls asleep. Max gets up and starts fidgeting with the wooden stakes. Dude, what are you doing? Shh. Just watch that guy. Make sure he doesn't open his eyes. Okay, dude. Trevor watches as Max continues to wrestle with the poles. After he applies a bit more force, Max manages to create an opening large enough for both of them to escape. Seeing all of this, Trevor begins to smile and even stands up to hug Max. Okay, okay. Just chill for a sec. We're almost home free. Now I'm going to ask you one question, dude. Probably the most important question anyone will ever ask you. Your life depends on this. For sure, dude. Anything. Just get us out of this fucking place. Do you still have that M80 you bought from that midget at the strip club? Trevor excitedly reaches inside his pocket and pulls out a single M80 firecracker. I knew this would come in handy. What are you going to do with it? Dude, are you fucking blind? Look around you. This warehouse is filled with fucking fireworks, man. I'm going to light this fucker, and you and I will be all like adios muchachos in this bitch. Hell yeah. They quietly high five. Max goes back to the poles, spreads open the wire, and quietly exits the makeshift cell. Trevor follows him. He spreads the wire, steps out, and knocks a wooden pole over as Trevor and Max both flinch, knowing the sound might wake the old man. The pole falls. The old man awakes and pops up out of his chair. He pulls a gun from his pants and points it at them. Whoa! No, no! Poor favor! No! Max is holding the M80 along with his matchbook. He slowly lifts it up to show the old man. No! Big fireworks! I shoot you! Max lifts it up higher and slowly begins to open the matchbook and pulls out a match. Tranquilo! Tranquilo! What the fuck, man? I shoot! The old man lifts the gun higher, aiming at Max's chest. He pulls the trigger, but it only clicks. He tries again and again. The gun is empty. Light that shit! Trevor says to Max. Max quickly lights the match sets the flame to the M80 and throws it hard across the room into a huge stash of fireworks. The old man is already running. Get out, man! Max and Trevor book it out the door as the fireworks start going off. Some bottle rockets come flying out onto the street as people get out of the way. Max and Trevor turn back to see the flames and explosions. Oh, yeah! They take a left at the street and try to cover as much ground as they can finally slowing down to catch their breath on a desolate street at sunrise. Man, I fucking hate Mexico, dude. Fuck these guys. 
Yeah, man. I think it's time we head home. Loza and Casper are seated at Tito's Tacos over in Culver City. God damn, Loza. I could sit here all day eating these things. I tell you what, Vato, if they had these bad boys in the pen, I could do back-to-back life sentences. Uh, do you think you could spot me another fiver? You know, just until I get on my feet? Loza hands him a fiver. Listen, like I said in the car, you're more valuable to me by my side. Think of yourself as a sort of captain now. Besides, Auntie Irene would beat my ass if I let her grandson go hungry. Casper smiles and takes the fiver. After a few minutes, he returns with a plate of tamales. He's not really hungry anymore. His excitement got the best of him. Okay, okay, he's here. Straighten up. Casper stuffs his mouth. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Who else would be driving a brand new yellow Mercedes in this area? Remember what I said, don't say a word. I got you, Loza. These guys are hard to pin down. Too reckless, if you ask me. They'll kill you for breathing wrong. I heard of one instance where this cartel guy murdered a whole village in Sonora just because a woman laughed at his belt buckle. Fuck. A well-dressed Mexican man steps out of his bright yellow Mercedes, smoking a cigarette. He comes up to Loza and Casper's table, removing his sunglasses as he sits. Before he says anything, he takes out one of the napkins lying on the table and wipes down the area in front of him. So, I suppose you have a message for me. Yes, we do, Arturo. Is there a problem with our current arrangement? Not exactly a problem. More like an opportunity. What do your Italian friends think of this opportunity? It wouldn't involve them, exactly. Does this have anything to do with the death of our gringo? Because I've been told it was you that ordered the hit. Yes, that's true. Gringo was taking more than his share and working with the Italians to squeeze us out. But what your family has to realize is that we offer more potential. Our operation is growing stronger, not just within the prisons, but we now have family in Texas, Chicago, Tampa. Our gangs have been growing, merging with others. We could offer even bigger distribution and less hassle. Suppose you were given our blessing. What would you do with the Italians? Well, we'd need permission to end our arrangement and start over. And uh, some firepower, too. So you are prepared to draw blood with the Italians? Yes, we are. And this is your message? Yes. Arturo gets up from the table, puts on his sunglasses, and walks out of Tito's Tacos. His Mercedes is heard speeding out of the parking lot. Wow, Loza. That guy was intense. Do you think it went well? Like I said, it's hard to read these guys. But I can tell you this, if it means they can push more product and make more money, they're going to side with the money.
An Italian man in a white Ford Escort drives through a more run-down part of town. He passes prostitutes, police cars, and some gang members. He heads down an alley, out on a side street, and pulls into a larger warehouse where Mickey and Ronnie are waiting inside. There's a few other cars near the back, but it's mostly empty at the moment. Hey, bring it back. Keep coming. The man parks the car, and Mickey calls for him to pop the trunk. Pop it. As he's getting out of the car, Mickey is already opening the trunk. He reaches under the mat and goes for the spare tire. The problems between the Italians and the Mexicans really began when the shipments coming from Mexico started getting lighter. Mickey pulls out a wrapped package of heroin from inside the spare and holds it up. Does this feel light to you? He hands it to Ronnie. Fucking meth heads. Mickey closes the trunk, puts the package on the car, and cuts into it with a pocket knife, looking closely at the brown powder. Not only was it light, it was shit. This stuff is shit! They shake their heads, talking and complaining about it as they walk to the door. Alright, we'll see you, Hank. Clean this up! From the late 80s to the early 90s, all drug use went down. So the bosses were still thinking of those surplus times and they still expected those kinds of dollars coming in. Heroin was always something of a niche drug, albeit one with highly dedicated followers. So they supplemented that with coke and weed. Mickey and Ronnie exit the warehouse and walk over to Leo's gym. Upon entering, they look around to see one lone guy stretching, some dumbbells on the floor next to him. Where's Vincent? He's back there, but... Never mind. They walk towards the back office, knock twice, and immediately open the door. Vincent is standing in front of a guy tied to a chair, mouth gagged with a bandana. He's got blood coming out of his nose, and it's running down his face. Vincent turns back to see them and smiles. What's up, fellas? The two men... Look at the man in the chair up and down as he moans for help. Mm, mm, mm. Let me guess. Bill's past due? Oh, it's worse than that. We caught Richie boy here trying to skip town. Isn't that right? Mm, mm, mm. You can't be doing that, big guy. Let's step into the other room here. Richie, you don't go nowhere. So, what do you got? Same as last time, Vinny. It's short? Yeah. Fucking pieces of shit. They're playing games. I'll talk to Frankie. This one's his call. I think we need to impress a few things upon him, Vin. What can I say, boys? Too many cooks in the kitchen. You asked me, I wouldn't even talk to those animals. And what about that thing I asked you to do? Lowe's wasn't having it. More tough guy talk, Vinny. Jesus fucking... Well, you tell him or you show him? That's the thing, Vin. We heard that Frankie wants this one kept clean. Okay, boys. Well, you gonna talk to him? I'll talk to him. If Frankie tell you we think there's a rat here? He told us. Ronnie, what do you think about that? I, uh, 
it's fucked, boss. What can I say? I'm keeping my eyes open. Keeping your eyes open, huh? Vinny, come on. It's Ronnie. You always look like a rat fuck to me. No? Tell me I'm wrong. Vinny, you're wrong this time. It ain't me. Jimmy, did you take my pogs? Pogs! Flip out and go wild! They're radical! I don't want your stupid pogs. Not even the slammers? Slammers! Where's my Black Widow heavy metal slammer? It was part of my Pogpourri Mega Mystery Mix. You probably lost it, doofus. I would never lose a pog. Alright, fine. I took it. And I'm not giving it back. I need it for school. That's my slammer, Jimmy. Brian Larson challenged me to a pog off. And Jenny Tilbrook's gonna be there. You don't have a chance with Juicy Jenny. Don't call her that. My arm! My arm! Ah. Pogs! The only game approved by the World Pog Federation! Whoa! You know, we're all spinning around on this big blue ball. Another day. Another year passes. And it's like, what is it all for? International phenomenon. Don't miss out on the action. Teddy, Jimmy's unconscious. I gotta have my pogs, Mom. <laughs> okay, Teddy. Well, now you got him. <laughs> <laughs> Pogs! Flip out and go wild!